You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to this week in the history of college football. My name is Clint Poppy. I'll be your host. Along with us is noted college football historian Jay Abramson. He is a noted author. He has a wonderful website and podcast, historyofcollegefootball.com. Check him out everywhere. And we are so very, very thankful that here at KNNALP 95.7 in Lincoln, Nebraska, we have Jay spinning football memories as we look at a particular week in the history of college football and the special names, the special events, the the memorable games, and sometimes the games that you've never heard about but you should remember. Jay has that kind of expertise, and Jay is going to take us on a marvelous, marvelous gridiron trip down memory lane. Jay, welcome back. Want to thank you, Clint, for having me on your wonderful radio broadcast. Good evening, sir. Hey, we we are just a couple of old guys having fun, uh, spinning tales and recounting memories, and we hope that uh, the people that are listening get some fun and enjoyment. Uh, we're we're trying to give you thirty minutes of fast paced football fun, and uh, that's our goal. And you'll have to let us know if we achieve it. Jay, where are you going to take us first? Well. I always wanted to do a segment on the 10 most impactful games in college football history, and there's been a lot of games since 1869. I think on anybody's list, this would be on the, in the top 10 anyway. November 16th, on this date, 1957. Notre Dame 7, Oklahoma 0, ending the Sooners' 47-game winning streak. In the fourth quarter, the Irish drove 80 yards on 20 plays for the game's only touchdown. Notre Dame scored on the fourth down from the Oklahoma three-yard line, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Back on September 26, 1953, please remember, this is 1957, this game. So back in 1953, Notre Dame defeats Oklahoma 28-21. Oklahoma ties the next game and then races off for an NCAA Division 1A record 47-game winning streak that spanned five years, 1953 to 1957. Number two, Oklahoma enters the game 7-0 and were the two-time defending national champions. Notre Dame entered the game 4-2. and two. The previous season, Notre Dame had a losing season, had lost in the previous two games leading up to this one. And if that's not enough, they were an 18-point underdog. Playing at Norman in front of over 63,000 fans, the game was scoreless with less than four minutes remaining. Notre Dame faces a fourth and goal at the Oklahoma three-yard line. And they go for it. The Irish quarterback, Bob Williams, takes a dive into the end zone. Pitches to Dick Lynch who scores the stunning touchdown for the game-winning touchdown and a mark the end of Oklahoma's record-setting 47-game consecutive winning streak. November 16, 1957, uh, certainly one of the most impactful and significant games. Uh, and it always seems like Notre Dame is in or really close to so many of these impactful and significant games. Oklahoma has had uh, several dynasties uh, throughout the history of college football and while while there's not a lot of love for Oklahoma here in Nebraska there is a lot of respect 
and uh, it just it just struck me as you were telling me this. Uh, I believe that when UCLA in uh, NCAA college basketball had its long, long, long winning streak when John Wooden was the coach and Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Jabbar, and then they just kept going, going, and going with the great teams. Uh, I believe it was Notre Dame that ended that long and historic winning streak as well. You'll have to check me out on that. I'm doing that off uh, off the top of my head and from memory. But uh, something significant, Notre Dame will be close. Jay, what a great way to start off our program this week in the history of college football. We're looking at November 16 through the 22nd. Jay, take us down memory lane, would you please? November 18th. On this date, 1966. This one is a bit of a head-scratcher. Michigan State 10, Notre Dame 10. Number one versus number two. Duffy Darty versus Arapusigian. This game had it all, including controversy. Number two, Michigan State enters the game 9-0. They were number one. Notre Dame enters the game 8-0. This was hailed as the game of the century. Number one, Notre Dame against number two, Michigan State. And after Michigan State jumped out to a 10-0 first half lead, Notre Dame ties the game early in the fourth quarter. And this is where the stunning stuff and a little controversial stuff occurs. It's not really what happened. It was what did not happen. With 124 remaining in the game, Notre Dame has the ball first down at their own 30-yard line. Notre Dame coach Arapasijian chose to run out the clock to preserve the tie. After the game, he said, after trying so hard to tie the game, he didn't want to give it to them cheap. That was the quote. The result, Michigan State did not win the national championship. Notre Dame did. November 18, 1966, and uh, true college football fans, when they hear that date, they know 10-10 Michigan State Notre Dame. They know that game. They know that's how significant it was. And uh, there are many, many games, and I think uh, ESPN had a special recently where they counted down like 20 game of the centuries and uh, that kind of thing. So that that's not uncommon for people to talk in those terms. But uh, the way the game ended and the fact that, in a sense, Michigan State got uh, robbed or cheated out of an opportunity literally to win a national championship. You mentioned Duffy Doherty as the Michigan State coach. And uh, a project, I'll send you on a, down a rabbit hole here uh, for a project, Jay, but the coaching tree that extends from Duffy Doherty is one of the most amazing coaching trees that you can possibly imagine. People here in Nebraska know it because one of the branches on that tree is the great Bob Devaney, but he's not the only one. There are many, many, many coaches that got their start with some kind of a connection to Duffy Doherty at Michigan State. And um, uh, for that reason and that reason alone, we should pay great respect to Michigan State, to the Spartans. Jay, what a great memory and um, uh, an extremely significant way to start out our program. First, the ending of the 47-game uh, Oklahoma winning streak, and then the 10-10 tie. I don't, I don't know that you can top it. Uh, where are we going to go next? Liz may top it, but before we do, Duffy Darty was a pioneer in integration in the mid-60s with his Michigan State teams. Uh, real trailblazer. Well, this one may top it. We'll, uh, we'll have to find a really good biography of him and uh, get a link to it on your website. How does that sound? 
That sounds like there's something that, that's a plan. That, absolutely. Okay, spin us a memory, Jay. November 20th, on this date, 1982. Cal 25, Stanford 20. Kevin <laughs> Mullen takes a kick off at game's end, and after seven laterals, runs into the end zone and into Gary Tyrell's trombone. Stop me if you've heard this before. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. Those were the words spoken by Joe Stockey, the stunned bear radio play-by-play man, announcing the final play of the game. It was a finish to top all finishes. It started, really, with John Elway, who ended up taking the Cardinal to an improbable comeback with four seconds left. All Stanford had to do was kick off and tackle. What follows is etched into college football lore forever. Stanford squid, and Kevin Moan takes the ball at the Cal 45. He races a few yards, laterals to Richard Rogers, who then laterals to Dwight Gardner, who then runs five yards, and then laterals back to Rogers, who races to the Stanford 45-yard line, before he laterals to Marriott Ford. While at the same time, mind you, the Stanford band starts to enter the field in the Stanford end zone. Ford races to the 27 and tosses a blind lateral, mind you, a blind lateral over his shoulder back to Moe, who had originally gathered the kickoff play, or the kickoff on this play. Well, five laterals earlier that had occurred. And through a sea of players, as well as the 144 band members, he runs into the end zone and straight into Gary Tyrell's trombone, which, by the way, is in the Hall of Fame, to end the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. Jay, I didn't think you could top those first two, and by golly, you did. Uh, I got shivers up my spine as you were uh, given the the blow-by-blow, play-by-play, pitch-by-pitch rendition of that. And for our hearers, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, the marvelous thing about living in the uh, information age is uh, you can check this out on the Internet. Go to YouTube or Google or whatever. November 20, 1982, the Stanford Band game where California wins 25 to 20 great memory amazing memory uh jay you you have really outdone yourself on this particular program november 16 through 22 jay take us again down memory lane well in my book i keep saying this phrase you know here's one that you, you rarely see this one is one that i've never seen before or since November 19th, on this date, 1966, Texas Tech 21, Arkansas 16. Number 6, Arkansas enters the game 8-1. Now, that season, up until that game, they had defeated six top 10 teams. They were 21-point favorite over Texas Tech, who enters the game 3-6. and six. Now, Texas Tech was playing at home in Lubbock, but this game was the stuff of legends. Prior to the game, and I, again, I just amazing me, amazing to me, an Arkansas Razorback assistant coach leaves a funeral wreath and a letter of condolence to Texas Tech, and he leaves it with them. The tackle Phil Tucker said later from Arkansas, and I paraphrase here, the more we read it, the madder we got. And in the second quarter, Arkansas went up 10-7 to and were knocking on the door again at the one-yard line. The Red Raiders stopped the Razorbacks twice for a miraculous goal line stand. The Red Raiders then rallied for the implausible win and the next day, a Lubbock headline read, Would you believe Texas Tech 21, Arkansas 16? The rumors of my death 
are uh, greatly exaggerated. Uh, that had that had to be something in uh, the newspaper headlines or mind on that particular day, November 19, 1966. And I think that's a lesson in humility uh, on any given day, on uh, any given field. That's why you don't just send in statistics to the mathematical analysis like, Jay Abramson, and uh, let him crunch the numbers. You actually get out on the field and play. You give a team bulletin board material. You give a team that kind of motivation. You better look out because you're probably going to get bit in a place that you don't want to be bit. Uh, Hats off to Texas Tech in that stunning upset win. Jay, I think we've got time for one more before our break. Yes, sir. This one has kind of a tangential surprise to it that, that if you're a history buff, you go, oh, really? And it was November 18th on this date, 1967. USC 21, UCLA 20. Number one UCLA versus number four USC. And with 10 minutes, 38 seconds left in the game, USC faces a third and seven from the own 36-yard line. And that's when the iconic run happened. O.J. Simpson's epic. 64-yard run through the defense, down the left sideline, cut, back through, crosses, field, and takes it in for a touchdown. It was said it was that game where O.J. Simpson met Robert Kardashian because Kardashian worked as a water boy. That, that is a, a wild, wild connection with regard to O.J. Simpson. And, you know, nowadays... Uh, because of all of the things with, uh, you know, the murder of his wife and the trial and, you know, the relentless pursuit of the uh, of the killer on golf courses around the world. Uh, the, the name and the image of O.J. is seriously tainted. Folks, if you were watching college football back then, uh, O.J. Simpson was a sight to behold. And he was an amazing athlete, an amazing football player. Um, on the junior college level, then at USC, and uh, then in the NFL, and uh, it is a it is a shame that that uh, that that football image is tarnished by all of the other events. Check out YouTube; you'll be surprised and amazed. We need to take our break this week in the history of college football. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Thank you, sir. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to this week in the history of college football. I'm Clint Poppy, your host, along with me, noted college football historian Jay Abramson. He is spinning magical football memories for us, taking us uh, through the history of college football during this week, November 16 through November 22. It just seemed like every memory you took us through on that first part of the segment was uh, more amazing, more astounding, more uh, awesome than uh, the one before. The uh, 47-game winning streak from Oklahoma snapped November 16, 1957. The iconic Game of the Century, as it was called, 1966, on November 18, the 10-10 tie with Notre Dame and Michigan. And, you know, 
everybody has to get a chuckle. November 20, 1982, the Stanford Band game. Uh, what great memories, Jay, and I know you have many, many more memories in store for us. Spin us a memory, would you, Jay? Absolutely, and I want to thank you for allowing me to appear on your wonderful radio broadcast. Thank you so much. Amen, brother. November, oh, thank you, sir. November 16th, on this date, 1957, Rice 7, Texas A&M 6. Number 20, Rice enters the game 4-3, and three, and they were 7-point underdogs to number 1, Texas A&M. Who? Does 8 no. Who? was riding an 18-game unbeaten streak, a 14-game winning streak, and who was coached by legendary coach Paul Bear Bryant and was led, if that's not enough, by the 1957 Heisman winner, John David Crow. Now, playing at home in front of, well, 72,000 fans, the largest crowd ever to attend the football game at Rice Stadium, in a battle for the Southwest Conference Championship, the Owls jumped out to a 7 0 lead following an interception and a 90 yard touchdown drive. The Owls held the Aggies' fourth offense in check for three quarters and carried a 7 0 lead in the fourth quarter. The Aggies scored a touchdown to open the fourth quarter, but the extra point failed right. Late in the game, Texas A&M was driving, but time expired for the Aggies at Rice's 24 yard line to secure the stunning upset. November 16, 1957, probably one of the uh, major highlights in the history of Rice Owl football. You know, you've got uh, you've got great names there. Bear Bryant uh, at Texas A&M before he went to Alabama. John David Crow, what an amazing name and uh, Heisman winner. There are so many of these Heisman winners where we know the name and yet we really know little about uh, their history. And I think, uh, you know, Jay, as a uh, follow-up or companion, there might be, uh, there might be something there with, uh, with regard to some of these lesser-known Heisman winners because you know them all and you have chronicled them for us in the history of college football. Available um, on your website, historycollegefootball.com. The podcast mention all the Heisman winners. Your, uh, your book that's available, History of College Football, on Amazon. Uh, lots of memories, and uh, you are spinning them here for us. This week in the history of college football, November 16 through 22. Jay, take us down memory lane. November 17th on this date, 1956. Jim Brown scores six touchdowns against Colgate. Syracuse's Jim Brown actually that day scored 43 points, six touchdowns and seven uh, PATs. Jim Brown, as everyone knows, went on to the NFL where he was the NFL Rookie of the Year and a two-time NFL MVP. You know, I read when I was a young boy, um, Jay, I read a uh, biography of Jim Brown and, uh, you know, watching him on TV, larger than life, then, uh, you know, became a movie star uh, after that, and again, larger than life. I was, uh, I was amazed to find out that Jim Brown was an All-American lacrosse player at Syracuse, and that if there was such a thing as a professional lacrosse league, that he was an even better lacrosse player than he was football player. Had you had you known that about uh, Jim Brown? No, no, I haven't. Uh, fascinating stuff. 
Yes, and uh, you know you you grew up on the East Coast, and lacrosse is big on the East Coast. It's not in the Midwest, and so this was a big deal. And uh, Jim Craw Jim Brown was a multi-sport star um, at the Division One college football level, and uh, that is a rare feat in any day and any age. Uh, thanks for that, November 17, 1956. Jay, where are we going next? Well, on this date, so it's November 17, 1990, quarterback David Klinger, University of Houston, throws an NCAA record 11 touchdown passes against Houston, Washington in an 84-21 victory. His staff's 41 of 58, 572 yards, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions. And I had the pleasure of having David Kling on one of our podcasts, one of the most eloquent, football knowledgeable people I've ever come across. And I asked him, how did you put up those numbers? And the way he explained it, it was so perfect, at least in my eyes. He said it was kind of like a fast break in basketball, where you ran off and you could just see the different players and they had the ability to augment the play uh, spontaneously, and he was so in tune with them, it was just easy, easy, easy for him. 11 touchdowns against Eastern Washington. That is uh, that is a great podcast, and I would just encourage our, our uh, listeners to check that out. Uh, that's really how I got introduced to Jay was through his uh, History College Football podcast. Most of his podcasts uh, are about 10 minutes long. They highlight a particular team or a particular topic. They're fast-paced, uh, and they just move right along, and they grip you. But, uh, oh, I don't know, about every 15 episodes or so, he's got a, a 40 to 60-minute interview. And the one with David Klingler is astounding. So I would encourage you to check that out. You can go to his website, thehistoryofcollegefootball.com, and there is a complete list of all the podcasts uh, getting close right now to number 120. So uh, there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of great information, and I cannot commend them to you highly enough. We're looking at this week in the history of college football, November 16th through November 22. Jay Abramson is spinning memories for us. Where are we going to go next, Jay? Uh, way back. November 22nd on this date, 1929. Ohio 33, Wittenberg 6. Ohio's enters the game 8-0. They had outscored their opponents up to that point in the season 273-7. And with the win, they would finish with a perfect season, undefeated on time. But as they had won in such dominant fashion all season, this team had the added pressure of needing to win in dominating fashion at this game's end. Don Peden's Bobcats were playing at home in front of 6,000 fans in a snowstorm, and they took control immediately. With a little more than four minutes into the game, Wittenberg was forced to punt from their own five-yard line, and that's when the Bobcats rushed the punter, and he got off a 25-yard punt, and suddenly Ohio State had a first and 10 at the Wittenberg 30. On first down, Chick Young laterals the fullback, Russell Kepler, in a couple of races, 30 yards, he gave the Bobcats a quick 7-0 lead, now five minutes into the game in the middle of a snowstorm. On the ensuing Wittenberg possession, Ohio hails Wittenberg with three and out. The following subsequent punt, Ohio now has the ball at their own 28-yard line, and they mount another drive. And they score to increase their first quarter lead to 14-0. On the ensuing possession, Wittenberg again was held on downs, forced to punt, and it was a poor punt. 
And now Ohio had a first down on the Wittenberg 25-yard line. And they score again as the first quarter ended. Ohio State took it in, and now they left 21 to nothing early in the third quarter. And later in the second, early in the second quarter, or excuse me. And later in the second quarter, Wittenberg fumbles. Ohio State recovers on the Wittenberg 32-yard line. And in dominating fashion, they took it in to the blossom the lead out to 28 to nothing in the second quarter. Ohio never looked back to secure the win in dominating fashion as they as they really wanted to do and ensure the perfect season was to be. The Ohio Bobcats have a perfect season in 1929. That is uh, that is hard to believe. That when you think of football in Ohio. You certainly think of Ohio State. You think of Cincinnati. There are a number of Division I schools, and, and Ohio has uh, for a long time fallen on difficult times. When Frank Solich left Nebraska and went to Ohio, uh, he did not inherit a great storied program, but he made them competitive. He made them a winner, bowl eligible, and uh, Jay, thanks for that great memory. November twenty second, nineteen twenty nine. Where are we going next, my friend? Yesterday, at least in the annals of college football history, yesterday, November eighteenth, on the state two thousand six. Number one, Ohio State forty two. Number two, Michigan thirty nine. This game was the first time these bitter rivals entered the game ranked number one and number two. Now, the day before, iconic Michigan coach Bo Schembechler had passed away. Michigan took a 7 to nothing lead in the first quarter, but Ohio State scores 21 second quarter points, and going into halftime, Ohio State leads Michigan 28-14. to Well, in the fourth quarter, Michigan cuts the lead to 35-31, to but Ohio State went back up 42-31 to and hung on the win 42-39. to Ohio State would go on to win out and play Florida in the BCS championship game where they would lose 41-14. to November 18, 2006. The uh, rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan is uh, one of the great rivalries in all of college football. And uh, unless you are personally invested in either Ohio State or Michigan, you cannot fathom the importance of this rivalry, the, uh, the, the absolute, I'll say it, hatred for the other team, the other players, the fan base, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it, is, it is really, really something. And uh, as we record this program in 2021, it has been a long, long time since Michigan has beaten Ohio State. And uh, the Ohio State fans, uh, they remind the Wolverines of that every day on social media. Uh, I'll take you back to the uh, uh, motivation with Arkansas and Texas Tech back in 1966. Uh, Be careful, my friends. Uh, Don't give people bulletin board material. Jay, we got time for one more. November 16th through the 22, uh, 22nd on uh, this week in the history of college football. Where are we going to go last? Well, how about a birthday shout-out? November 21st, happy birthday, Sid Luckman, Columbia Lions, Chicago Bears, four-time NFL college champion, or four-time NFL champion, excuse me, college and pro football Hall of Fame. At Columbia, in just 24 games, 
Luckman put up unheard of stats at that time, or even today, 180 pass completions and 376 attempts, 2,413 yards, 20 touchdowns. In the NFL, one game stood out. Luckman was the quarterback in the 1940 NFL title game, which saw the Bears defeat the Washington Redskins 73-0, showcasing Sid Luckman. Happy birthday, Sid Luckman. Happy birthday, Sid Luckman, in that uh, that seventy with seventy two seventy three to nothing NFL uh, championship game. Um, there was a tennis shoe controversy in that game. Uh, I'm not making it up. Check it out on Google or uh, wherever you get your information from. But uh, Chicago had different shoes, and they had the grip on a frozen field. Happy birthday, November 21, Sid Luckman. Sadly, our time has come to a close. We'll be back again soon, giving more memories this week in the history of college football. For Jay Abramson, I'm Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back soon. Thank you. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.